I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. I'm Michael Adams. I'm not here with Andrew Paskin, but he's here with me in spirit. We are currently putting the final touches on our new show, the authoritative look at the Super League War, which will be coming out from next week. Every Wednesday, we'll have a brand new episode for you. Honestly, it feels like Christmas Eve for Andrew and myself. The amount of work we've put in over the off-season to finally see it out and in the world is is really exciting for us. Uh, and I wanted to start with an apology. Firstly, for anyone who's tuning into this thinking that this would be that first episode, we've got some important setup work to do first. So uh, apologies for that, but uh, I, I think you'll understand why we need to, to do it this way. Secondly, just our lateness in general. We took the off-season off. Uh, I was fully expecting that round one we'd be good to go with all the research done and uh, a, a full season of episodes ready to come out. Uh, it didn't quite work out that way, but uh, Andrew and I were both of the opinion that it was important to get it right. It, it's a story that, as we touched on last week, is very real and personal for us. Uh, and from the comments and the feedback we've got from the listeners, I know it is for all of you as well. So, Apologies for the delay, but we're here now and we we couldn't be more excited. I just wanted to also say how overwhelmed we've been from the responses we've got from from our listeners. Uh, Weren't expecting that at all, but the the support's been incredible. We're already getting some great stories and opinions flooding in through the emails and on the social media channels. So please keep them coming. As the show goes on, I really want it to be a collaborative effort. As Andrew said a, a few episodes ago, it, it really provides us some clarity and perspective to to get some of your informed views. Uh, and as we'll be sharing some of our memories and, and reflections on the time, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear more of yours as well. So please, the Rugby League Digest at gmail.com. Where were you when Super League hit? What side were you on? Etc. Etc. Love to hear anything you might have to say about anything to do with the war. Uh, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter as well. But yeah, thank you so much for for what you've you've told us so far. So as I said, from next week on, it'll be all new content. Uh, I'm not putting a timeline on how long it's going to go for because honestly, we don't know. The research we've done's been exhaustive. We've got a lot to plough through, uh, so we're just going to enjoy the ride for as long as it's, it lasts and and I hope you all stay with us. As I said, we're going to do a bit of setup work tonight by replaying our history corner uh, detailing the birth of the Brisbane Broncos. Now, 
Anyone who's listening to this knows that the Broncos were instrumental in Super League. It's up there with Super League is about pay TV in terms of depth of analysis. But it's it's a bit simplistic to just say everything was going great, the Broncos came along, hence Super League. On some level, a Super League was probably inevitable, but this Super League would not have happened the way it did without the Broncos. Uh, and understanding how they came into the league and how they went about their business, uh, I, I think will really set up the season nicely. Uh, this particular episode is, I, th- I think it's probably the finest work we've done to, da- to date. Uh, I'm hoping we eclipse it with the upcoming season, but for new listeners or people who have only been with us for a little while, uh, I, I hope you enjoy this. As I said, it's, I think, some of our best work. Uh, and for those of you who have heard this before, it uh, might be worth another listen, but if not, um, we'll speak to you next week and, and, and thank you again for all your support. But anyway, I've got to get my head back into a book so I, we can get this first episode out for you next week. So, so until then, uh, enjoy the show and, and I'll speak to you next week. I'm starting is basically the point where I come in on rugby league, and that's the entry of the Brisbane Broncos in 1988. What a time! Along with the the Gold Coast or the Gold Coast Tweed Ch- Giants and the Newcastle Knights. <laughs> uh, anyone who hasn't seen the video I posted on Facebook earlier this week, um, go to our Facebook page and have a watch of that. The uh... The history of the Gold Coast franchise. Oh, so good. That was really hilarious. <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll just get stuck in it. This is such an incredible story. The, the way it played out, the way we've got from there to here, the way we're still feeling the ramifications of what went on. One thing to, to say at the start is it was always going to happen, Brisbane a, a competition involving Sydney and Brisbane teams together. That's the way sport's going. That's the way the world's going. But the reason it happened, when it happened, why it happened and how it happened is almost completely a result of the decision of the New South Wales government to allow poker machines in 1956. All roads lead back to bloody poker machines. So for a bit of context, the, the Brisbane Rugby League competition was basically on its knees by the, by the mid-80s, um, directly as, as a result of the funding issues, not having poker machines to back up their leagues clubs, which backed up the football operations. You had several clubs in receivership. You had falling attendances, low TV figures, because all the players were going down to Sydney. So basically the game we love uh, has always been funded on the misery of the vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, e- exactly. Um, I, I want to do a better job of, of calling out some of the sources I've used. Great book I, I picked up called Our Game by Steve Haddon, History of the Brisbane Rugby League. Wow. Um, incredible book. He, he, he just wrote this para- paragraph that pretty much sums it all up, so I'm just going to read this out. It's convenient to blame the Brisbane Broncos for the demise of Brisbane's traditional club competition. There are those who feel the collapse of proud clubs like Brothers, Valleys and West was their doing, who blame the most successful NRL club of the last 30 years 
for dismantling a much-loved status quo. The truth lies elsewhere, amongst the rubble of clubs who were broke and unable to pay the state's best players, and officials most well-intentioned, but incapable of facing the challenges of a rapidly changing world. Buffeted by an annual exodus of players to Sydney, dwindling crowds and revenue, soaring costs, poor facilities, clumsy decision-making, and rival sports, sports poised to challenge the incumbent, rugby league in Brisbane had hit the wall. See, I always thought that it was strong. Well, here at Wally and Gene Miles and, and, and Mal and this, that and the other. That was the last bastion. So by, by 1986, you had 42 uh, top-line Queensland players playing in Sydney. You had another 19 who were heading south for the 1987 season. Guys like Fatty and Les Kiss. And- yeah. The, the QRL was going through ever-increasingly futile efforts to stop the player drain. Like Gary Larson's arrival at North was delayed by a Supreme Court injunction. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Do you think the Supreme Court just gets so sick of like, rugby league cases? <laughs> Yeah, putting on exorbitant transfer fees, uh, which were like raised if you played state of origin. And it, it had gotten to the point where for a young player making his mark in Queensland, your most likely path to a state of origin jersey was playing in Sydney. And so Mal went down at the end of 85. Uh, Ron McAuliffe, who is a pretty pivotal figure in this story, Said, said at the time that Mal had given Queensland six years of great service and he deserved the right uh, and let Mal go without too much of a fight. But other players, they really, and lesser, much lesser players, they really, like, dug their heels in. Like, it's a very good point to say, you don't really think of Mal having his, his early prime years in Queensland comp. You think because he played so long that he had this big, long career in Sydney. Imagine if he played his whole career in Sydney. Mm, yeah. How, like, how much better he would have been. Yeah. And he, he'll talk openly about the his um, premiership at Brisbane uh, Souths under Wayne Bennett was, like, one of the highlights of his career. And he'll, he'll talk glowingly of playing in the BRL in the early 80s. Um, so Mal going down was one thing, but Wally Lewis leaving the Brisbane comp was just... that That was... The, the death of the comp right there. So the QRL did all they could to stop Wally and Gene Miles, who were going down to Manly as a like package deal. This like really kind of kicked everything into gear. So in 1986, some people in the Brisbane comp could see the writing of on the wall. A bloke named Darren Vanderveld came up with an idea to get a Brisbane team backed by the QRL to play in the Sydney comp in 1987. Wally Lewis, who was famed for needing a challenge to play at his highest level, he was excited by that. That kind of fell apart because the Brisbane clubs were, you know, worried about their own self-interest. Wally Lewis decided, well, I, I can't go back and play. He, he was captaining, captain coaching Winner Manly at the time. He said, well, I, I can't just go play for this, like, compromise comp, I want to play with the best players. So him and Gene Miles, on a deal in part brokered by Fatty Vorden, um, decided they wanted to come to Sydney. Imagine that Manly side. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's a story in itself, but that back line 
that already had Michael O'Connor coming in in 87, had Dale Shearer at fullback. Yeah. Some, Cliff Lyons and Des Hasler in the halves, you'd probably move Cliff Lyons to lock. Now you've got Wally in there, Gene Miles at centre. I reckon maybe Wally to lock Cliff Lyons. <laughs> Either way, my God. Either way. And it was going to happen. And basically what made it a certainty to happen, what was in the end what scuppered the deal, and that was Kerry Packer decided to get involved. He had friends at Manly and he said, right, buy three players, I'll give you the money, as long as one of them's Wally Lewis. So Wally and Gene Miles came down to Sydney, had a meeting with Kerry Packer, who said, yep, it's all sweet, come down and play with us. Um, meanwhile, Wally had signed a deal with the QRL, uh, which gave the QRL the right to match any offer that a, a Sydney club made. So the QRL made an offer, but the offer was based on the bids that he'd received by East and St. George, which were considerably less than the Manly deal. And Wally said, well, this this is way less than what Manly have offered me. But the thing was, the money Kerry Packer was giving to Wally Lewis wasn't registered on the contract. It's a party deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the original. So because it wasn't on the contract, the QRL, all the QRL had to do was match the deal and they could keep Wally and they did it in the most shameful manner. Wally Lewis came down to Sydney for the Dally M's while this contract stuff was going on and he was saying he's not going and the QRL were trying to get him to sign. Ron McAuliffe, who was boss of the QRL, sent out a press release saying that Wally Lewis had signed had re-signed with the QRL. <laughs> this story broke as the Dally M's were going. I mean, how rugby league is that? Um, and, and Ron McAuliffe's like classic figure in rugby league. About the decision to issue the pre- press release um, regarding Wally and Gene Miles' contracts, they wanted to go and they didn't want to go. So I pulled the rug from under their feet. I think I did them both a good turn. <laughs> <laughs> so Wally was furious. He was furious, like uh, by default. Yeah. <laughs> he must have been triple furious. <laughs> and at this point, th- there wasn't just the the internal threats from you know the Brisbane clubs trying to hold on to their territory. And at, at that time, the the VFL, now the AFL, was making like inroads into becoming a national competition. They launched the West Coast Eagles and the Brisbane Bears that year. Yeah, I remember it. I remember thinking, like, that's cool, even yeah. though I, I didn't understand the game. Yeah, yeah. And it was certainly a big thing in the Rugby League week of... The Rugby League weeks of 1987. That was a constant theme, you know, like, we're dragging our feet. Meanwhile, the Brisbane Bears are getting rapturous crowds in Queensland, and the the Brisbane Bullets were considered a genuine threat. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Loggins was draining yeah. threes. But, I mean, um, is that the inaugural free kick to AFL? <laughs> it may well be, yeah. Um, so, in this environment, the New South Wales Rugby League in particular were going, we, we've got to do something. Well, how much do you reckon it impacted the fact that um, Canberra and Illawarra weren't ultra successful? It, it's a funny one because even though, like... From 82. Yeah, yeah. Even though, like... Illawarra, like, is an hour south of Sydney. Canberra's not that much further. 
Do you remember when Canberra like made the grand final for the first yeah, time? Yeah. It was like this, you know, my God, how big is this world? <laughs> Sydney, three hours south of Sydney, like what's next? Like these were considered major steps to, <laughs> to have like a presence outside of Sydney. Yeah. So, and, and the fact that Queens, um, Canberra in that 87 season had about eight first graders playing who, who were Queenslanders. Um, I, I, I don't think you can, and, and Wayne Bennett coaching them. I don't it was think, almost like the inaugural Broncos. Yeah, yeah. And, and all, all, and the storm mark one for that matter yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a storm. But I love this, this rugby league thinking. So Steve Mortimer was a, a regular col- columnist for, for the rugby league week in 1987. And he was talking about the threat from, from Aussie rules. The game of rugby league should now head into the war zone. Take on Aussie rules head to head and establish the Winfield Cup 16th team at Albury. <laughs> I rarely felt more strongly about anything in the game than that the next and critical step should be to create a club taking in the Albury Wodonga Wagga area. That would be taking it right to the Aussie rules mob. So, uh, yeah, a, a little outpost of a few hours south of Albury didn't really come into the equation. But. That's, um, that is so funny. I mean, um, <laughs> that's got shades of, uh, of buzzers. You take it to parks. <laughs> but, um. Um, but it's, it's funny to look at the, the sporting landscape in general. Like, and, you know, I, m- I mentioned the, the Brisbane Bullets. I always thought that the NBL kind of kicked in in the like in the nineties, you know, ninety two, ninety three, Jordan yeah, era, yeah. But they were like talking it as a legitimate rival to their comp, you know. Well, it's funny because even in Newcastle, the Falcons were quite a big deal because mm. it's a one one team town, yeah. And as a flavor of the month, yeah, yeah. And they had the kids, yeah, uh, were involved in NBL, so it was a bit of a threat. Mm. Well, funnily enough, I don't know if a you're... minor threat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if your childhood was the same as mine, but. Um, 1988 for me was framed by, uh, two warring groups of, of kids at school. Those who went to Expo 88 <laughs> and those who didn't. I went to Expo 88. Did you? Yeah. Oh, um, bloody Expo 88 kids. Um, uh, but Barry Miranta, who, spoiler alert, ended up getting the Broncos license. He put together a grand idea for a, sporting carnival during Expo 88 where you'd have a Broncos game on the Friday night, uh, Brisbane Bears Saturday Avo, the Brisbane Bullets uh, Saturday night, and a major rugby union match at Ballymore on the Sunday Avo. So it's it's so funny that even though these games were considered, these other sports were considered like major threats, it was still like this sporting landscape where like, you know, it's like, yeah, go come to the Broncos, then go to the Bears. You know? <laughs> right, right. But I mean, um, he wasn't going for a hybrid game. No, no. What's he thinking? <laughs> but yeah, that's another story that there were, were um, mooted hybrid games in '87. There was talk about Alan Jones coming in as a coach <laughs> that year. So I was surprised by the amount of rugby union content made its way into the pages of Rugby League Week that year. Because it was legitimate sport back then. Yeah, yeah. Now it's, um, you know, mm, what it is. Yeah. But, yeah, so we get to 1987 and something has to happen. So 
the New South Wales Rugby League announced that they're taking submissions for three new teams. So they were a 13 team comp, and despite recommendations from their committee that they drop down to 12 teams. <laughs> Who was on the committee? I, I don't know, but they like fought tooth and nail to kick Wes out to make it a, a 12 team, 12 comp team, uh, based on their recommendations. Then two years later, it was like, no, we need 16 teams. And the history was to repeat in 95. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's so many points in this story. It's like a horror movie where you're saying, like, don't go into that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so they were announced, they announced that they were taking submissions for membership for 1988. Um, Arco said that a Brisbane team in the comp was 100 to 1 on. There was, a, there was a lot of apprehension. There were a lot of people talking about the fact that we don't have enough teams to make up a 16-team comp. But um, that was mixed in with a lot of enthusiasm as well. Well, apart from the Gold Coast, that didn't, that didn't eventuate. Mm, yeah. But, I mean, what if we did go down to 12 or 14 teams that year, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of what could have been in this story. So we'll just get to the, the vote itself. So they put it to the Brisbane Rugby League, or so the Queensland Rugby League, do you want to join the New South Wales competition in 1988? The, the QRL voting block was made up of three members of the BRL, five from the Country League, and then a couple of others who I forget. So the BRL just spent all their time campaigning with the the country guys to get them to vote no. It's always the same rugby league subcommittee on subcommittee yeah. infighting on backhand deals. Yeah, awful. So short story, despite the uh, long story short, despite this hundred to one on odds, the QRL voted against the move to Sydney. <laughs> um, so basically, there, there's some conflicting accounts of of what happened and why at this point there were four consortiums vying for the license uh one of them was the the Vanderveld bid who'd who'd kick-started everything but soon realized that they didn't have anywhere near the money you needed to do it it's like someone has a genius idea but has no money so rich people with the capital come in and, and mm-hmm. take over so you had um the Miranda bid which ended up winning it uh, made up of Barry Maranta, Paul Porky Morgan, Gary Belkin, and um, Steve Williams. Is that uh, any relation to Lachlan Maranta? Yes, he is. Uncle. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could even be son. I can't remember, but abs- guaranteed relation. Wow. Yeah. Um, the other bid was the Gene, what's called the Jeans West bid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a couple of, uh, you know, businessmen based in WA, I think they were. And the fourth was, they were called the Queensland Internationals, made up of John Sattler, Peter Gallagher and Bob Hagen. Uh, we'll hear more about them later in the story. Imagine if that won. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's uh, <laughs> there's more to that that story a bit later. Well, interesting um, little connection. My uh, good friend of mine, comedian James Smith, went to uni with um, Paul Morgan's daughter mm. in um, Gold Coast and um, you know was friendly with the family. And he's not a rugby league guy at all, but he's just telling me how much of a legend he was. Oh, really? He's the coolest guy ever. Yeah. 
Well, the fact that he first came on the national landscape for bankrolling Crocodile Dundee. Uh, outrageous, yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, the however it went down, the the consortiums weren't given the option of presenting their cases before the people who had to vote on it. So it was kind of like the Republican thing where like (laughs) (laughs) there was all this maneuvering to compromise the vote. So people weren't voting on the idea. They were voting on the specific idea and, um, it it was a farce basically. (laughs) For a guy like me who like avoids conflict, like just hearing about rugby league board meetings makes me like get anxiety. I'll quote from uh, Adrian McGregor's book, Wally and the Broncos, one of a, a trilogy of books that Adrian McGregor wrote about Wally Lewis in the space of about five years. Um, good reading all. Wally, Gino and the other players were under a huge marquee in the centre of Lang Park. When news of the vote from upstairs boardroom from the upstairs boardroom reached them, they were dumbstruck. Bill Hunter, who was the QRL chairman, emerged and murmured to Wally that it would be best for rugby league in the long run. Wally was so angry he simply brushed past. He heard Hunter, interviewed for television, admit that he had abstained from voting. Gene Miles wrote in his column, I've never seen Wally so angry as he was yesterday. (laughs) Despite subsequent events, Wally and Hunter have scarcely exchanged a word since. (laughs) And uh, Wally went on to say that he'd, he'd get legal advice to seek a release from his QRL contract because he'd signed it on the proviso that a Brisbane team would be entering the Sydney comp. There's never ending avenues of legal. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many legal avenues. They always seek to get out of a contract. (laughs) Um, Now at this point, I, I think we should say something about the two, the two main consortiums, the Jeans West and the Maranta bid. The Jeans West started as like unbackable favourites to get the license. So, I mean, who were they? Jeans West, the company. Yeah, right. yeah. So, Alistair Norwood, um, I think, was the founder of Jeans West, and he was like, you know, the guy um, running the bid. They made a couple of like fatal errors. The first was to hitch their wagons on Ron McAuliffe, who recently re- he'd been running Queensland football since the fifties. He'd recently stepped down as QRL chairman. The Arco-type figure, right? Arco-type figure, best mates with Arco. He was a senator in Queensland, um, Machiavellian type, you know. And because of that connection, Arco and the New South Wales Rugby League really favoured the Jeans West bid. Arco's opinions coloured by his biases that later came out, as you, you heard when we did the Arco history corner, but yeah, he he was backing the the Jeans West bid, but what they did was they went after Ron McAuliffe to to get him involved in the bid and get his support, not realizing that well that they realized that he just stepped down, but not putting together that a bloke who's been running rugby league for thirty years is going to make some enemies, <laughs> enemies that once they've seen the back of him won't be too keen. To see him reemerge. That's the genius point. <laughs> and it, it just goes to show, like, the power isn't with the individual, it's with the institution. Like, yeah, you, yeah. You, you take the individual away from it, like, he's just another guy. Well, good point, but what about guys like Arco and Bozo? 
without official titles and still running, holding CEOs on marionettes, etc. <laughs> Bozo is a kind of inexplicable one, right? Yeah, so, but I don't think it's. Uh, I can see where his logic is backing McAuliffe. Yeah, yeah. Thinking, but, thinking he's he's still running it de facto. But yeah. He makes some good points. <laughs> he would have a million enemies. And the other thing they did was to, um, like, get players to sign up for their consortium. Like, they, um, Wally Lewis captain, was captain coach at Wynnum and Gene Miles played under him. And one night Gene Miles missed training, um, and didn't give a reason. Then it turned out that he was on the news because he was backing the Jeans West bid. So Wally like blew up at him and fined him at like $500, which was like an obscene amount to find <laughs> someone then. Um, so I always um, thought that they were sort of eagles, you know, like um, I didn't know about the captain coach dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously yeah. everyone looks like the Wally in Queensland, but mm. I thought him because the origin and stuff, they were like sort of equal. Well, they were like, they were like best mates and like, you know, kind of, you couldn't say one without the other, but Gene Miles had the. It, there was a perception that he was like Wally's lapdog, right? So that was how the that power dynamic kind of yeah, yeah. played out. Um, when when Wayne, this isn't part of our story. This is out of our remit. But like when Wayne Bennett dropped Wally as captain and installed Gino, it basically like severed their friendship. God. Mm. They went from like you know hanging out of each each other's places every week, like their wives' best friends, to like barely talking. That's rugby league. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the the James West bid thought if we get players to sign up for us, that then you know we'll, we'll get the public support. All the clubs will be behind us. So, sorry, back it up. When you say sign up for the bid, you mean publicly support? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I don't know if they're trying to sign them up to a... No, to no, a... <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, An aberration. Yeah. But what they forgot was that the players don't really care who wins. They just... <laughs> <laughs> um, the funny funny thing was um, after the the vote happened and, and Jeans West lost, lost out, um, Ron McAuliffe rang up Wally Lewis and said... We're in a bit of trouble. Those bastards are against me, and so they're against Norwood McKay. Backing Alistair was the worst move I could have made. Um, and, and Adrian McGregor said, McCauley's politicking was lost on Wally. Despite joining Norwood McKay, I wasn't sure what was in the consortium proposals. I was happy to go along with whoever got it. <laughs> <laughs> Rock solid. Yeah. Um, the other... Probably the fatal flaw in the Jeans West bid was they were not from Queensland. Oh, that's that's a death knell right there. Yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, they missed out on the biggest opportunity. They could have all been fitted out in some nice, tight <laughs> boot cuts from the 80s. <laughs> um, but so the Maranta bid that ended up winning it, not only were they from Queensland, not only was it Queensland money leading to the thoroughbreds, they'd all played in the in the BRL. Um, so they knew Queensland football and they knew who they had to attract and that's what they did. They went around and, you know, basically went to all the Brisbane Rugby League people and uh, sweet-talked them and tried to get them on board. What sold them was, uh, as compensation, the Jeans West bid off- offered $2 million to the BRL 
the Miranda bid said a 30% revenue sharing model. And so that got it over the line. They decided to go with 30% of the profits. Well, that must have been a genius um, idea because the crowds in the in the outset were huge, weren't they? Yeah. So as we'll, we'll get to, it didn't really work out the way either party would have hoped, but um, that's a bit further in the piece. Actually, that, that doesn't take into consideration overspending, <laughs> extending yourself, front and back ending deals. I was surprised that their first game, they only got like 17,000. Is that right? Yeah. And like, that was Manly Brisbane, wasn't it? Manly Brisbane. Yeah. And, and Lang Park was a lot, like, it's not the, you know, Coliseum it is today, but there were a lot of like empty patches of hill. I watched the game recently. It might have been a bit of um, wait and see. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They're taking out Brisbane to yeah. comp all our players. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, so it was announced in April 87 that, that the Brisbane team would be in the Sydney competition for 1988, meaning they had to start signing players. So obviously Wally Lewis was the the number one player they had to get. It it was just one of those things where it wouldn't have got off the ground if they didn't sign Wally Lewis. Yeah. Like if he'd he'd have gone to Gold Coast or heaven forbid a Sydney team, like suddenly that whole whole venture's like compromised. Um It's oh yeah, it's almost like Maradona for yeah. Argentina or something, mm, isn't it? Yeah. So they they signed Wally and Gene Miles together. Um, making both of them among the highest paid players in the game. But some of the other Queensland players, they like completely lowballed to sign. So they they went after Brian Niebling, Greg Canescu, and Greg Dowling with these like paltry offers. And they were test players. They were all test players, yeah. yeah. So Greg Canescu thought that was the best he could get and signed, but the other two like refused to sign and. Greg Dowling was on the verge of going to Parramatta and it was all like blowing up around them. Um, but they all eventually signed with, with the Broncos. But the other thing was going after the Sydney players. Like there was talk of Steve Mortimer going up to Brisbane. He like had a massive falling out with Warren Ryan at Canterbury, <laughs> <laughs> which is a history corner in itself. Um, and he was like, he was odds on to leave Canterbury at the end of 87. That would have been a great signing. Yeah, yeah. What would happen to Alf if that happened? Yeah. Um, Sliding doors. <laughs> they were trying to get Brett Kenny at, at one stage. And the effect was it just caused this like market panic in Sydney with players like, like Peter Kelly, like got like this, you know, deal that made him in the top hand, top paid handful of players in the game. Any player who was off contract, like, got overs hardcore. I mean, have you ever seen, like, a more inflated market than rugby league rumour mill markets? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the tech bubble of 899. <laughs> um, the interesting one was Mal, because Mal had signed with the Raiders, but there was a, a coaching clause in his contract because it's rugby league. And... <laughs> <laughs> so... Mal, like, could very well have, like, left and gone to Brisbane. Thank God he didn't. I mean, I, I got on the Raiders bandwagon in 87 as yeah. a seven-year-old. Mm. It was um, Mal and Chica. Yeah. Chris O'Sullivan. It, it's funny that... It's funny he didn't go, really. Like, he came, he played under Bennett at Brisbane. He was stoked when Bennett came down to Canberra. He'd only been in Canberra a couple of years, like... 
Yeah, I reckon uh, it's just just the loyalty of the guy. Yeah, well, he probably said, saw something special brewing. He did. I'll, I'll read his quote. I decided to stay because I believe Canberra has a great future. We'll be a force to be reckoned with in the 90s. The club has good administration, a huge number of juniors, and players who will develop into somebodies. Canberra will be an exciting club to be with. See, in those days, you could rely on your juniors staying for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, Generally. Yeah. You probably saw Laws going. Well, he did, yeah. Laurie made his debut that year and, like, like drew like rave reviews in, in his you know limited opportunities you had um kevy walters coming on steve walters there like yeah yeah um not to mention the established Clive. players uh i don't think he was he would have been like well, you come out in 88 yeah so yeah he would have been, yeah, in, the would have been in the system then he had his queensland mates gary belcher peter jackson came down that year coin yeah but yes yeah, so that was an interesting one like belly egg <laughs> <laughs> What? Imagine that that t- that Brisbane team, but with Mal in it. Oh yeah, a lot of what ifs in this. Mm, a lot of what ifs. Um, the other one is is the the young players they had coming through. So Alf made his Queensland debut that year. He was playing under Tommy Radonikus at Ipswich. Just think about what would have happened here if, if Mortimer came up. Mm, yeah, because he needed that development as a yeah, young, yeah, small guy. Yeah, mm. could have been lost to the bush. Yeah. And the funny thing is Bennett saw um, Kevin and Carrod Walters and Alan Langer playing together at Ipswich as like 16, 17-year-olds. And um, I'll read this. Love is a strong word, but I love the way they played. They ran, they threw the ball, they did anything they wanted to do. They threw it over the back of their head, around their body, most times without even looking. The Canberra job came up in 1987 and I only took Kevin because watching those kids play... I thought the best thing for them in their future was to break them up. That way they would have to rely more on other players and they would become de- better team players for it. I mean, how calculated is I that? I know, I know. Um, it's funny that he took Kevin and then Kevin was the one who didn't really rate in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. um, well, a bit harsh, but <laughs> he didn't rate him as high. No. Um, one, one person who wasn't too happy about the breaking up the twins was uh, Mrs. Walters. Um, Sandra, she said, I was really wild when Kevin went to Canberra. I didn't like to see the twins split up. It didn't seem right. Kevin told me he used to walk around the house in Canberra just before going to training looking for Carrot. <laughs> Is that a, a, a Walter Senior G up? That sounds like a G up. <laughs> How good is that? So then you had, like, Greg Canescu, the established, like, test hooker. He was there to help carry it along. And um, all the pieces were falling into place. They'd, they had the team. They just needed the coach. They had a great side. Joe Kilroy. Yeah. Struck with did, did Chris Johns go out there first year? Yeah, he was there first yeah. year, yeah. yeah. I always yeah. thought that was really cool having a, a blue centre up there. And... Terry Madison, who... Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. He, he didn't play New South Wales till 89. Yeah. I think Chris Johns might have been the same year, actually. Yeah, right. But But... Um, Great move for his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But both of them, like... I think Terry Madison had been at East and played, like, one game in three years. Chris Johns, like, wasn't that highly rated when we went up. Um, and those signings came before they got Bennett. So that's really astute from those blokes yeah, too. Yeah, right. They probably just thought Origin team. <laughs> What's that? They probably just sort of playing on the Origin team. The Queensland Origin team. Yeah, but but like 
you wouldn't you wouldn't say in 1987, oh, we're going to get Chris Johns and Terry Madison because we want some new South Wales origin players. Like, oh, they meant astute from those players. No, no, I, I mean, you no, mean, I yeah. mean, it was astute of oh, yeah. the the bid to like, like, scout them and go like, let's get these guys. Great targeting. Mm. Um, while we're talking about all these origin players and, and gun signings and, and and bids, no dramas in the Newcastle bid. It's like local guys that try hard. Couple of Kiwis. I might hold off on that because literally one of my subheadings is Newcastle drama free. <laughs> Any pennies on board? We're yeah. all sweet. <laughs> so let, let's let's get to the nights later because right. um, we still got a bit to go here. So the, the coach, like you, you think, oh, slam dunk, Wayne Bennett. He's the or, Origin coach. Like we'll just and he's the coach of the generation. Let's get him. Imagine how far he was beating the players on the on the run yeah. in '87. <laughs> But he was actually signed by Canberra for four. He had a four-year deal with Canberra, so most most people like calling, you know, what was going to happen didn't even consider Wayne Bennett. And at the start of '87, Bob McCarthy was such a short-priced favourite that when the first vote came out and they voted against going to Sydney, Bob McCarthy, who had a, a column in the Rugby League Week, his column started. How do you reckon I feel? I've just lost my job. <laughs> and um, what it all came down to basically was uh, a word between Gary Balkan, oh no, between Porky Morgan and Jack Gibson. I'll read this out. This is from Bob McCarthy writing in John Sattler's book, Glory, Glory, Glory. Gary basically said, we want you to coach our Brisbane side. A few hours later, I rang my accountant, who also worked at the QRL, and said, mate, I have this job at the Broncos. He rang back a few days later and said, are you sure you have this job? I'm also Wayne Bennett's accountant, and he just rang me to get his Brisbane contract looked at. (laughs) I rang Gary Balkan and said, what's bloody going on? He said, sorry, Bob, Porky Morgan bumped into Jack Gibson at the airport. Porky asked whether Brisbane should sign you or Bennett. Gibson recommended Wayne, so that's who we're going with. <laughs> Another sliding doors. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Jack Gibson's a genius. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, um, mm. um, so so if he's a bit late for the um with his boarding pass, yeah. <laughs> Bob McCarthy runs Brisbane. It's so like we say sliding doors in jest, but there's so many different ways this this could have gone. Like, if if Wayne Bennett stays in Canberra, I don't think much changes there. I think Canberra win a billion premierships. Sheens is very lucky. Yeah, Sheens is very lucky. There was talk... So, he was coaching Penrith. He'd already announced that he was leaving Penrith uh, in in the early part of 87 with nowhere really firm for him to go to. Wayne Bennett, as far as anyone knew, was locked up for four years at that point. The Canberra job wasn't open. Um, there was talk of Tim Sheens going to Pen- um, to Newcastle and being their coach, which... Would have been great. But they didn't have the cattle. So, like, what's t- Tim Sheens' reputation now yeah, yeah, yeah. if he goes to Newcastle yeah. foundation club, uh, yeah, yeah. in their foundation year and, you know... Absolutely. Like, he's probably out the door in three or four years and, you know, he's coaching, like, West or something and just has, like, a middling career. There's, yeah, absolutely. Um but yeah, so as I said, Wayne Bennett had a deal with Canberra 
But after Jack Gibson's words, they were like, okay, well, we're just going to get Wayne Bennett. Like, don't worry about his deal. Uh, this was made easier by the fact that he had a contract that Les McIntyre, the Canberra boss, never got around to signing. <laughs> I mean, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> but what about the, um, you know, the, the, the client privilege between the accountant? Yeah. <laughs> it's like direct... <laughs> Direct information. I know he's not a, an attorney or something, but still, yeah. <laughs> they've got a code of conduct. Um, it's funny, like, after Bennett announced that he was going, and there was, like, a lot of to and froing to allow him to go, Canberra obviously were pretty pissed off because Don, Fe- Don Ferner was their inaugural coach. They coached together in 87 with the idea that Wayne Bennett would take over solo in 88. It's almost like Stuart leaving Para for Canberra. It's like, it's just, it's fate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, mm. if it didn't happen, everyone would be thinking, why did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's funny, like, so Bennett copped a lot of criticism when when the news came out that he'd signed. Because it was a major shock. Like, the week before it was announced, Rugby League Week was saying, there's no chance Bennett's going to Brisbane. It was like, literally one week later, they announced it. But uh, read, I'll, I'll read this quote from um, from Wayne Bennett. Canberra and Wayne Bennett are on amicable terms. Otherwise, I wouldn't be staying here until the end of the season. It has been said that Wayne Bennett has always been a highly principled, even God-fearing man who always lived by his honour. I have never made myself out to be like that. A bit of third person there from, from <laughs> Wayne Bennett. So there's there's a lot of like conflicting stories as to how the the deal went down and and how he got his release. Mal Meninga said that he he was upset that Bennett was leaving, but he could understand there were family reasons. And he said that, okay, I'll tell Canberra if they release you, I'll sign for five years. But uh, he said that in his book and the timing doesn't really work out. So I don't know. It's just odd. I can't see Mel making it up though. Yeah, yeah, true. Anyway, it the sliding doors is that like Wayne Bennett was so crucial to that team because they needed someone who was bigger than Wally. Like, but he wasn't bigger than Wally at the time. He, this is my point. So it's unbelievable the cult of Wally Lewis in Queensland in in that era, like. Wally Lewis was at one stage talked about as as the only person who could reasonably coach the Brisbane team while playing. The only reason Wayne Bennett got the gig of origin coach in 87 after losing the previous year was because Wally Lewis said he didn't want a captain coach and backed Bennett. (laughs) Like, he ran everything to the point where there was a when, when they were deciding what the team was going to be called, one of the names was the Brisbane Emperors. <laughs> God, <laughs> but they needed a coach that was going to be able to stamp his authority. Do you reckon he had his cards marked from day dot? Wally, yeah, I think so. Do you think Wayne said, "I need him out of here," yeah. so I can? Yeah, yeah. Well, the way Wally Lewis lost the captaincy kind of speaks of that. So it happened after their um, playoff loss to Cronulla in 89. They were on the bus um, going back 
to Brisbane and Wally Willis got up in front of the team and like gave a speech and Wayne Bennett just looked around and noticed that they weren't like they weren't going with him and he said I, I could tell right there that you know it was time to move on so I think he knew that he had to get the team beyond Wally Lewis. And I don't know if Bob McCarthy or anyone else would have been able to, like, get past that. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe Jack Gibson. Yeah, yeah. But even then, Jack Jack Gibson at that point was probably in the Wally Lewis stage of his coaching, you know. Like, he wasn't wasn't meeting the eyeballs of the players as he did, you know, a few years before. You know who definitely would have, would have uh, matched switch with him? Warren Walk Ryan. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> I predict the falling out. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it's all fallen into place. They've got their players. They've got their coach. Now they need to, to work out what this team is, who they are. The Broncos had, had been mooted, like, from, like, w- way early in the piece, like, before the bid was announced. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, rugby league bids, they're always naming the bids way early. Yeah, yeah. I saw with the Gold Coast Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. With, with uh, swim coach Laurie Lawrence breaking <laughs> them in, in, in the video on our Facebook. But, you know, it's like the Western Reds were the Reds in about, you know, yeah. way early. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. We've got the, the Brisbane Bombers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Central Queensland Corridor. <laughs> Corridors. <laughs> So, yeah, so in early March 1987, when it it was just floated that there might be a team in Brisbane, it was like, can you picture it now? The Brisbane Broncos. So that that was uh, very smart by John McCoy, the journalist who who did that story. It's got two benefits, alliteration, or three benefits. Mm. It's an American NFL name. Yeah. And they kind of are like Queensland with Brumbies and whatever and horses and what have you. Well, it's funny because they wanted they they wanted the alliteration, and they wanted an Australian flavour. And you think, well, it's got to be the Brumbies then, right? Like the Union team wasn't around yet. Yeah, yeah. Like it was there for the Brumbies. Um, in Adrian McGregor's book, he talks about the idea of the Brumbies, and he said, "Brisbane Brumbies was nicely colloquial, but could be shortened to the Brizzy Brums." A devastating headline after a loss. <laughs> Thinking too much about it, but I think Bronco sounds better. I think it does too. Um, some of the other ones besides the Emperors were uh, the Buffaloes, the Bulls, the Bombers, the Kookaburras, and the Cowboys. I think Cowboys would have worked. Mm. Yeah. And I think yeah. Um, Bulls would have worked. Yeah. Um, Kookaburras got in the mix because Gary Belkin's yacht was called the Kookaburra. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, and the other thing was the colours. So... Brisbane's like team football colours were red and white, but the city colours were blue and gold. So early on, it was it was going to be like a blue and gold design. I've got to say they dropped the ball on the colours. I I think the colours are great. I hate the colours. I think they nailed it. I think that first jersey is just about the best they've had. That probably is the best one they've had, but they've had some stinkers all in the line. You, Travel land. I I I like that era too. Oh, um, no, I I think I think they got the colours right, and it was a a near miss because they had a design printed and ready to go. It was a predominantly blue jersey, 
but they changed their mind at a function that uh, John Singleton happened to be at. <laughs> well, he knows his stuff. Yeah, and he said, you guys are crazy. You're Queensland. You're maroon with a bit of gold or yellow. Why wouldn't you go down that path? Just these flippant chance meetings <laughs> that decide the history of the game. It's crazy, eh? Hey? He's right there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other iconic thing about those first jerseys is the Powers Bitter sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. The Powers Bitter story is the most Queensland thing of all time. All I remember from that era is just seeing Powers everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big League, yeah. League Week. Mm. And going like, what's Powers? Yeah. So Powers... Didn't exist as a beer before 1988. Fair That's it, why. It was put together by a, a Queensland businessman in part at anger that um, Alan Bond had bought Forex and Queenslanders were up in arms because it no longer um, had a the Castlemaine Perkins Brisbane address on the Forex can. It had a Western Australian address. <laughs> Bloody hell. So uh, he he said he, he wanted a, a beer for the Queenslanders, so he started Powers Bitter. This got the Broncos into trouble because Lang Park um, had a deal with Castlemaine Perkins, which meant that they couldn't sell or advertise Powers Bitter at Lang Park. So they threatened to um, not play at Lang Park unless they could sell their beer and, and have their signage uh, until it was said to them by the New South Wales Ru- uh, Rugby League that they wouldn't be allowed into the competition if they weren't <laughs> playing at Lang Park. There's always a, a beer company or a gambling company <laughs> yeah. dictating the terms in rugby league. <laughs> um, and as we talked about on the, the Arco history corner, uh, the Powers Bitter dispute wasn't the last time that the New South Wales League threatened to kick the Broncos out. <laughs> Arco said that one of the worst decisions we ever made at Phillip Street was the one that allowed the Brisbane Broncos into the competition. <laughs> um, he His um, chapter on the Broncos is like even more bitter than <laughs> the chapter on the Super League. But I, I say to, I say to um, Arco, I say... Maybe you shouldn't have had kegs of beer at the meetings. I love this quote from Arco. I reckon your grandmother could have run the club. Sponsors were just about battering down their doors to get on board. And Paul Morgan, Barry Maranta and John Rebo and these blokes were walking around with their chest puffed out at what a great job they were doing and what geniuses they were. The real test would have been to put them with South or West or Balmain. See how they went then. <laughs> He makes a point. It's like bowling on a green wicket, but... He make, he makes an even better point that if you've got these failing Sydney teams <laughs> and this wildly successful one-team one, one team town, like, maybe your answer was there. We'll also also point out that he had the whole of um, Northern Sydney doing himself, basically, <laughs> for 50 years as well. But... Um, and, and one point at a... At a um, at a meeting in the early nineties, John Rebo was um, trying trying to get them to take the grand final to Brisbane, um, and you know he was shot down by by the league. True visionary. Yeah, um, and then uh, he he shouted out angrily to John Quayle, "Aren't you guys interested in finance?" <laughs> 
That's the most like rugby league guy way to like talk about. <laughs> Aren't you interested in finance? So Arco says that the ARL's cards were dealt as soon as the Broncos entered the competition. Like that directly led to Super League and just getting in the competition, like just got them down an irreversible path. I suppose, I mean, it's only seven years later when you're yeah, yeah, so yeah, you don't think yeah. how soon it was. Mm. And like Paul Morgan, like would openly say that he was the architect of Super League and, um, but funnily enough, the, the tension between the Broncos and the New South Wales League was nothing compared to the tension with the Broncos and the Queensland League. <laughs> they had to fight two battles. Yeah. Um, I've got a feeling that the Queensland Rugby League might have been like even more pig-headed knowing Queenslanders. <laughs> How funny is this? They There were Brisbane League clubs who were against the move to have a Sydney club because they thought if they didn't go to Sydney... And Wally Lewis and Gene Miles went to Sydney, they'd have a better chance of winning the Premiership. <laughs> you want to know about the, a true capitalist ideal? Rugby league. Is there's no, no, everything's about me. Yeah. Every single thing. Yeah. Uh, there, there were clubs that were a bit more um, forward thinking and they wanted a Sydney club, but they wanted it to be ran by the QRL. I, I don't think it would have worked. It would have been too insular. Yeah, yeah. Surely. Yeah, yeah, and there would have been these competing interests yeah, with yeah. the Origin team and everything else. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think you can't argue with the success of the Broncos. I mean, unmitigated success. Yeah. You had other clubs, like, denying their players the, the right to go to Sydney clubs or Brisbane or the Gold Coast. They weren't releasing clubs. Like, um... The diehards club said, well, we lost Les Kiss and Gavin Allen last year. We can't lose any more, so we just can't let him go this year. <laughs> I mean, you got to feel for him as well. Oh, you, you have to. Like, they went from being, like, you know, the Winfield, like, it was the Winfield Cup. They had a Rothmans medal. I mean, they still did that after it, but they had sponsors. Sponsors dropped out, like left and right after... But let's compare that to the Newcastle comp, which is also very strong. Mm. Um, in the mid-80s, early 80s, it's really strong. Yeah. Still is. Mm. Um, but um, people get behind it in Newcastle. You know, it's a team for us. You know? Yeah. You wouldn't hear Lakes United trying to like <laughs> block players to go to the Knights. <laughs> like. um, so the tension mounted in, in the first couple of years of the Broncos, and the 30% revenue sharing deal that fell apart before the Broncos had turned a profit. So the BRL didn't get anything out of it. It fell apart in the most rugby league way of all time. Uh, I'll read this is also from our game, Steve Haddon's book on the BRL. Ultimately the relationship between the QRL and the Broncos was severed in 1990 after public criticism of consortium members by a high profile official on a boat cruise ended up in the courts <laughs> it happened in front of our media manager, Kev Kelleher. We had journalists sign stat decks. The action was in the courts for six weeks. We'd been called crooks and thieves in front of a group of journalists on a 4X cruise, said Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me that this pissed bloke cost him several million dollars? <laughs> yeah. Bloody hell. <laughs> 
That's so funny. That, that's actually a lesson to be learned in rugby league. A bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Yeah. Mm. Take the two yeah. men. Because <laughs> anything can happen. <laughs> that is outrageous. Yeah. So do, do we know the bloke? No, no. So, yeah, I mean, that brings us to the, the 88 season itself. And there was a lot of talk in the lead-up as to how they were going to go. Like, in, in the 87 Panasonic Cup, Brisbane had fielded a team in, in that competition since the early 80s. They won it in 84 with Bob McCarthy coaching. They got trounced by Penrith with all their Queensland stars. People were saying, oh, maybe they're not up to it after all. Ray Price, who had a year-long slangy match with Wally Lewis... Um, they, they had dueling books come out that year where they were just like hammering like blokes left, right and center. Um, which, which is also another story in itself. That, but they had to play in the test side together. Yeah. Yeah. And they, what, they just didn't talk. Well, they both like really respected, well, Wally Lewis more than Ray Price. Wally Lewis really respected Ray Price as a player. Ray Price, I think thought Wally Lewis was a bit overrated. Um, probably, probably a fair assessment. Well, I mean, he's one of the greats, but I mean, he gets um, made into a god. Mm. You know? I just, I, I don't know. In the end, he's I an immortal for Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it would have been good if he did come down to Sydney a couple of years earlier. Yeah, we well, can't. You can't. Um, it's just like a, a career interrupted by Super League. There's just that yeah. little question mark. Mm. But yeah, so there, there were real, um, you know concerns about whether they would be competitive despite their Queensland stars. And, you know, they fell a bit short that year, but, like, rammed a point home in, in round one, taking on the reigning Premier's Manly, beat them 44-10 to 10 at Lang Park. Um, I watched that game just last week, and um, what what really struck me about that, I'll, I'll read out the, the, the team that ran out, round one, 1988. You had Colin Scott at fullback, Smoke and Joe Kilroy and Michael Hancock on the wings, Chris Johns and Gene Miles in the centres, Lewis and Langer in the halves, Terry Madison, Brett LeMann, who scored the Broncos' first ever try for any uh, trivia fans, Keith G made up the second row, then you had Brian Niebling, Greg Canescu and Greg Dowling in the front row. Is Keith G um, Andrew G's... I don't know, I don't know. G double either. Yeah, same spelling. So you think, think it'd be related? You'd have to be. You have to think so. When you look at that team, and you look at the team that ran out on Grand Final Day 1992, you've got Chris Johns, Michael Hancock, Alan Langer, and Terry Madison. That's it. That's all that survives, like from four years before. But that was a team of people at the peak of their powers mm. 28, 29 year olds. Yeah. Which you needed, yeah, in yeah, yeah. And as I said about Greg Canescu bringing Carrod Walters through, like there are a few other examples of that. But like it's just funny reading all these stories and all this like controversy about like they've got to sign Brian Niebling and then Niebling's out of the league a year later, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Colin Scott, you know, oh, Wally Lewis was backing Colin Scott over Gary Belcher for the Origin team, you know, and Colin Scott lasted one year. It's like, yeah. It's just so funny that, like, all this, like, furor and then the team that gets it done is, like, almost unrecognizable. Well, that's probably league in itself. Yeah. There's yeah. a story about that first game in Fatty's book, Turn It Up, um, <laughs> that I always remember from reading as a kid. I think about this, like, twice a month. Apparently, he organized with, with Wally before the game, because they're best mates or whatever, and mm. great mates, to 
do a funny handshake when they did the toss. So <laughs> instead of shaking each other's hands, they leant over and shook each other's foot from behind. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, this is like the debut of the Broncos. Like, <laughs> you're shaking each other's feet. But it's hilarious. And uh, so fatty as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think about that all the time. <laughs> That's classy. <laughs> Turn her up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there was a lot of, like, drama to, to get the Broncos up and running. It's, like, a stark contrast to Newcastle, which was, like, it was announced that there's there's going to be 16 teams next year. Newcastle from day one was one of the teams. By April, they had their colours, which, like, haven't really changed, except when they wear that, like, high-vis disaster. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty much unchanged from 1980, 1988. They got everything right. Yeah, yeah. Down to the sponsor. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, so they were called the Knights from very early in the piece as well, but they were very nearly called the Miners because a, a mining firm was going to give them sponsorship for 88 under the condition that they call themselves the Miners. I think it would have worked, but um, but um, Knights is just magic. What what do you, what is a Novocastrian? People from Newcastle. Yeah, I know, but why? Just how it is. <laughs> so you don't know the derivation of that? I don't know. I mean, um, I might have looked at it once or twice. Yeah. Basically, it means um, you're suspicious of outsiders. <laughs> You um, have a, a, a confused sneer on your face when someone walks into a shop. You know? Don't mind the odd glasses. <laughs> but I, I was only a young guy, eight years old when they come in, and I was, I was a Canberra fan yeah. only for like a year. But I mean, um, I remember the vibe. I remember the Henny Penny ads were everywhere. Mm. I remember thinking Sam Stewart was like a god. Yeah. Um, Funny how they went for the Kiwi imports. Probably had no other choice. Yeah, basically, they weren't able to um, go after Sydney players till the end of the year. So they had to think outside the box. They got, um, in addition to Sam Stewart, they got uh, Adrian Shelford, I think he was. Uh, was Tony Kemp that year? He might have been, yeah. Um, it was at least only nine. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> play, had a penalty in him. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other big one was Glanville. Who yeah. was um, everyone was saying he was going to go to Gold Coast, um, but he he signed with Newcastle. Legendary figure in Newcastle. Um, the one the one drama with the Knights was a contract backflip. Um, Ivan Henjak, who was at Canberra. Oh, we could have used him. Yeah, yeah. So he um, signed, but he'd signed the letter of intent. Just sign the contract. <laughs> Don't worry about the letter of intent. Why are you giving these guys time to rugby league? <laughs> Just tempts fate with, yeah. with backflip opportunities. <laughs> so the, the cool off period. <laughs> the classic rugby league st- story: Ivan Henjak signs with the Knights mid-year. Suddenly, the Raiders go on a grand final run, and he thinks, "Why am I leaving this team?" You know what? If he left, with Stuart coming in '88, mm. it would have yeah. been a whole different career for Ivan. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they they did well, like the Knights. To I think we had Steve Lenane at halfback. Then. Okay. I think. Didn't he get like 18 weeks for eye gouging or something? I don't know. Yeah. He was playing at St. George in 87. He got like some like 18 week suspension or something. Let's look up the original team. Yeah, I have to look that up. But, um, you know, they 
like by nineteen ninety they were like seventh or something. I remember that year they were like they were like looking at top five until late in the piece. All we cared about for the first, I don't know, five years mm. in Newcastle was yeah. making sure people knew they had a game when they came to Newcastle, <laughs> and they were very happy with that. Yeah. As long as they, like, bashed some guys. Yeah. Paul Marquette, David Mullane, mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Sargent. Yeah. Um, it's funny what an immortal can do if you get one. Hell yeah. Like, what is that team if, if Joey doesn't emerge? I don't uh-huh. know. I remember when he emerged and I was at the game. Like, they probably, throughout the 90s, they would have stayed that really tough team that, like, you know, teams would hate to go to Newcastle and have to deal with the Chief and Sergeant Glanville, etc. Even an immortal needs a BK, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Batman needs a Robin. Mm. But, yeah, the, the Newcastle was the classic example where it made perfect sense. Awesome rugby league community. Really strong local competition, not too far from Sydney, but far enough that it's a regional identity. Plenty of local juniors, yeah. insular attitude. Yeah, it, it's got it all. Mm. So it was crying out for a rugby league team. From day one, they were just the team, no issues, you know. We've had some up and ups and downs over the years, but, you know, there hasn't been any controversy about Newcastle being in the club. Well, the one thing you to hear over the years was this. I mean, if we had the poker machine money from West, West Newcastle, we'd be laughing. Mm. But we're struggling. But West have got all the poker machines. We need them, right? And then so West bought them. So you'll never hear that again. It's um, it's actually quite sad. There's a quote from when the bid was first announced um, by their general manager, Graham Harders. We will not need $300,000 from poker machine palaces. We will make the game pay for itself. It's like... It was a beautiful dream. Yeah. You know? That's like saying, um, you know, back in the Winfield Cup, you know, I'm not taking any cigarette money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as we'll see, Pokies played a central role in the identity of the 16th team. We- you know how much this makes me sick? Like, it's just all through the history of the yeah. game. It's mm. just riddled with this. Yeah. And the crazy thing about the team that, became the Gold Coast Tweed Giants. Why does why does Tweed Heads get a rugby league team? You know, when you and all the in in the before they announced who the sixteenth team was gonna be, all these people saying like, oh yeah, it's gotta be Tweed Heads. It's gotta be Tweed Heads. And I'm like, why does it have to be Tweed Heads? I say it's gotta be it's gotta be Hat Head. Yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be Foster, you know like, why? Yeah. Um so it's got to be Nan Buckethead. <laughs> so the only plausible reason for why it had to be Tweed Heads was because there were no pokies in Queensland. Tweed Heads had the Seagulls Club. Well, do you know what? I got a memory from when I was about eight or nine, probably eighty-eight, maybe eighty-nine, when we were in Queensland visiting family. We went to the Gold Coast Seagulls um, Club. The Tweed Heads Seagulls Club. It was club. giant. I mean, we hadn't seen anything yeah. like it. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, here's me 15 years later feeding 50s through the bloody thing. Yeah. So I'll read this quote about the Seagulls Club. It's the Taj Mahal on the Queensland New South Wales border, classic rugby league trope. (laughs) Any large pokey den is the Taj Mahal. I reckon that's what they were going for in India. The the pokey den look. As soon as you enter Coolangatta Airport, you get the message. 
The giant advertising sign screams out, It's a sensation. Seagulls Rugby League Football Club, open 24 hours. 445 poker machines. Seagulls, built 16 years ago in what was once Swampland, has 11,000 members. 95% of the customers come from across the border, many in busloads, to poker machine country. Think of that. Around border town, the Seagulls Club is seen as the seventh wonder of the world, at least until Joe goes. Then the locals say the poker machines will flood into Queensland. Yet another good thing Sir Joe did. You say yet another. We got the scones. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, Flo. Maybe Flo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the scones and holding <laughs> off on the pokies. Um, uh, but yeah, so that was it. it. It had to be the seagulls because they had the poker machine money. But it's so overlaid to go, oh yeah, no worries. Yeah. Mm. But as it turns out, the, the seagulls weren't ready to go in 88. Oh, you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> um, Part of this was because of a... Um, it looked like a ragtag bunch. It looked like the Afghan army from the day dot. Like, yeah. Just like thrown together, uniforms aren't matching. Yeah. <laughs> like. um, so basically, there was a, um, a board takeover at the Seagulls Club. Um, after an incredible power struggle, surrounded by claims of sex orgies involving former directors, claims of corruption and what? a stabbing... I can't. I was just going through my notes today, and I read that. Read that, and I'm like, "Why didn't I research this?" <laughs> so, a stabbing and a sexology. Yeah. So anyway, so the old board were out. We, we're not talking about the Titans, are we? <laughs> so um, the new board of the Seagulls came in, and they said, like, "We're dead keen. We want to be part of the competition, but we're not ready to go in '88 because we're tied up with this twelve million dollar resort at Coolangatta." <laughs> That we're trying to extricate ourselves from. If you can hold up. The agile rugby league trope of, of rugby league clubs in the land development. <laughs> Who's running that? Uh, Lyle Gorman and Damien yeah. Irvine? Like. Um, but, so the, the case strengthened for, you know, a team on the Gold Coast. It had to be 88. Uh, legendary winger Ken Irvine, who was one of a host of players living on the Gold Coast, Said it's a must. They've got to go to the Gold Coast, and he he's really sold it with his uh with his pitch here. If you get more than seven thousand in the oval, you're in trouble. They'd have problems at first. They'd have to pull in the Gold Coast League, but it's very weak. They'd be lucky to have six players good enough to play reserve grade in Sydney. Group eighteen, which is where the Tweed Heads is, is a thousand times stronger. But there would need to be a big injection of Sydney players. But despite all the talk about what an attraction it would be for the top Sydney players to come and live on the Gold Coast, you won't get the Brett Kennys and the Peter Sterlings. You get a few good players and the others would be reserve graders, or those battling in first grade. But you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> I love some real talk, though. <laughs> so we've got a, a 7,000 capacity ground. 7,000 capacity ground. Um, a local comp that couldn't even supply reserve grade players, a board who had recently ousted the sex orgy stabbing board <laughs> and had a $12 million <laughs> financial black hole in Coolangatta. <laughs> Faced with all of this, do you think the New South Wales Rugby League might have said, you know, look, 
we've we've had an odd number of teams for the last five years. We can go one more. You guys get your stuff sorted. Eighty nine, you can come in. They said no. We, we've got to have sixteen. It's got to be sixteen. At this point, we're going to bring up the third consortium, the Queensland Internationals, the aforementioned Sattler, Gallagher, and Hagen. So Sattler ended up in Queensland because he he went and played for them for, for a Queensland team when his South career ended. Uh, his uh, his paper boy when uh, when he was living up in Queensland, a fourteen year old Paul Fatty Borden. Wow, yeah. He said, as a paper boy, Fatty made a bloody good footballer. <laughs> <laughs> but so they were all they were all up on the Gold Coast and Peter Gallagher was the driving force. He said, hey, Sats, I've got this idea. They're having a Brisbane team. We could get the license. And so they started this consortium. In frank honesty in his book, Sattler said on the Morantibid getting the job, personally, I thought it was the right call. I was disappointed, but the reality was that we, the internationals, for all our passion and playing experience, simply didn't have a business model that could compete with the Maranta teams. So as far as he was concerned, that was the end of it. Oh, well, we had a go. We lost out. But I've got a question. Why go for it? Like, just get a membership there or something and get a car ride around the ground or something like (laughs) that? Why are you trying to run a rugby league club if you've got no business model? Well, I, th- I think that's the question he posed to Peter Gallagher, and Gallagher said, oh, it'll be sweet, so we'll, <laughs> we'll work it out. So you'd think they came a distant third in, in the you know in the bidding. You know, maybe it's like, all right, good try, guys, but, you know, um, we got a better one. All right. The New South Wales Rugby League said, you guys want to run the Gold Coast? <laughs> So these rumours were flying even before the vote happened when it became clear that it was a two-horse race. Um, at this point, when, when the idea was mooted that the internationals could take over the Gold Coast, one of the consortium members said, we're not interested in second prize. Uh, a full 22 days later, Bob Hagen came out and said, actually, we're more excited about this proposition than we were with the bid for Brisbane. <laughs> They should never have got the license. There should never have been a 16th team in 1988, but it could have worked if there weren't all these external forces working against them, starting with the fact that when the bids were first announced, the Brisbane team wanted to have a three-year embargo on a Gold Coast team (laughs) signing (laughs) Brisbane players, as in players from the Brisbane comp. Um, I don't think they... They got that over the line, but that's the that's the climate we're living in. We were living in. We well, yeah, it would have been happening unofficial threats of blackmail. Yeah, yeah, and- yeah, exactly. They they were so far behind the eight ball that in March of 1987, when Ken Arthurson was asked about the 16th team, he said their identity was anyone's guess. <laughs> like as. Boss of rugby league. <laughs> How is that acceptable? I, I know it was like 1987. We're, we're not too far removed from you know like part-time secretaries, but like you're the boss of the rugby league, <laughs> and in March you're saying it's anyone's guess. <laughs> it, it, it goes back to the first bid when when the Vanderveld 
um, consortium tried to get a team for the for the eighty seven season. Um, they came up with this idea in August eighty six. August eighty six <laughs> to give them enough time to get their stuff together. Arco put the deadline for submitting entry for the eighty seven comp back to September thirty. <laughs> <laughs> but in those days, you could just bring it around and go like, you, know, you want to play? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think John Sattler said it best. With only six months until the start of the 1988 preseason, we had no coach, no jersey colours, no nickname, no staff. Oh, and not a single player. Oh, it's just, it's it's criminally sad. Yeah. They, I mean, they were just fighting with no hands behind them. Yeah, both yeah. Hands behind them. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, um... Maybe Aubrey would have been a better idea. Yeah. Yeah. And like, the colours. Yeah, yeah. They dropped the ball everywhere. Those colours are the most non... At least the seagulls had, like, a pattern that you can <laughs> vaguely recognise. But those giant, like, colours, like, it was so nondescript. I think they got the name right. Yeah, first, yeah. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, but shocking colours. The seagulls was a disaster. Had the sea eagles already? Yeah, seagulls is not a cool animal. No, like that was yeah. criminal. Mm. But all, I think the colours were good, all because of the ponies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they had to find their coach. Um, sh- what a massive shock that the John Sattler Consortium picks Bob McCarthy as, <laughs> as coach. Do you reckon the pitch was, mate? Get up here and stick it up him. <laughs> I guarantee it was a vengeful yeah, appointment. Yeah, well, um, Bob McCarthy was also, you know, really positive about about the coaching job. He said, this was Bob McCarthy in, in a Rugby League Week article. Why, people seem to want to know, did Bob McCarthy, again, the third person thing with these guys, <laughs> take on what appears to be a struggling Gold Coast side and not the Brisbane team or one of the established Sydney clubs I've been offered in recent years? As difficult as it may be for supporters of the game to believe, the major reason was the gut feeling I had about this new goal. <laughs> I love Bob McCarthy. Yeah. He's, like, he's actual old school. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, that's very rugby league. Yeah. Um, do you want to hear Bob McCarthy's coaching stuff? <laughs> yep. So uh, team manager and skills coach, uh, one Graham Changelanglands. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Ken Irvine, sprint coach. Okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, former South Soccer, Elwyn Walters, was another um, a- assistant coach. He's known as a legend. Yeah, but uh, but again, it, it's a real kind of like 60s yeah, mentality yeah. for it. I mean, Changa coaching, I suppose you've got Joey coaching. Mm. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. Bad news. No. Um, one of the sad parts of it was um, Steve Rogers was like throwing his hand up to get the job, and he was um, he'd had a real like bad run in the mid eighties. Like his Sydney career finished in injury, he went over to England to try to um, get a gig there and and got injured again. Basically, had to come back with like kind of he still wanted to play. Like it was mm-hmm. that classic like retired but didn't want to be retired and didn't find anything to to fill the hole and I'll, I'll just read this quote the last few seasons have been horrible I've missed rugby league so much I'm just sorry I'm not coaching this season the news about the Sydney prospects from here is fabulous I'll certainly let be letting them know I'm keen 
and I'm sure I have something to offer. Well, it's just, um, the story's just told over and over with these blokes, isn't it? Yeah, you know? it's awful. Mm. But yeah, so signing, uh, signing problems became a real issue because of the lateness of it and the general unattractiveness of it. I can't really remember the 88 squad. Um, you're not alone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is from John Sattler's book. Desperate for a big-name scout to help attract other players, we sent Macca down to Sydney for a hit-and-run mission to sign as many blokes as possible. He came back with one player, St George's Billy Johnston, a tough hooker. I remember that, yeah. Raised in the Queensland outback town of Kunnamulla, who would be 29 midway through our first season. This is going to be a fucking disaster, Sats, McCarthy told me. <laughs> Straight talk. Um, but Billy Johnston was a good, tough... Yeah, yeah. Uh, known as yeah. a boxer. Good, yeah. good start. Mm. But so they went on this um, clandestine raid. They built, they booked a suite in like the Hilton, I think, in the city, and and like Des Hasler, Greg Dowling, the Izard brothers, um, Steve Lenane, Noel Cleal, you know, a few others. They got Ron Gibbs, who made a name for himself that year at, at Manly. He should have played Origin that year. Um, he was like their big signing, like that. That was their marquee marquee bloke um everyone else was kind of like you know middle of the road kind funny of funny you mentioned that. i remember those two footy cards now yeah 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 the, the funny thing was the the um the gibbs signing caused a furor uh, the story was actually broken by uh phil buzz rothfield well must have um, been just how the kid that shit yeah yeah and and yeah so the story got out and and it, it was just this sensation. It's funny how like certain contracts just inspire this controversy when blokes change teams all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Manly came out and and were you know out in public saying what an out what an outrage it was that their players were being raided. Um, I mean, just the audacity. Yeah. Uh, the the audacity did not go uncommented upon. <laughs> um, Peter Musket, the journalist who took up a, an executive role with the Gold Coast team, said, We find it totally laughable that anyone can come out and make a song and dance about it. Manly have delivered 30 knockout punches to other clubs, and at the first sign of a counterpunch, they cry out foul. We find it obnoxious that Manly, who have raped and pillaged every other club <laughs> in the league, should bleed and squeal in this way. Oh, my God. That's beautiful language. Yeah. Um, Shakespeare. Bob McCarthy was seen to be having angry words with uh, Bob Fulton in the tunnel at Lang Park <laughs> during the State of Origin. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, Chris Close was the other big signing yeah. uh, at the end of his career. But he was a like, prop by then. Yeah, he, he you know. Um, well, they got Mike Eden, Troy McCarthy, Bob McCarthy's son, um, a, f- a few other ones. But, I mean, it was all, like, guys that were pretty good yeah. by that stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was talk, again, with the, the fallout of, at Canterbury. Uh, at one point, not only was Steve Mortimer going to the Gold Coast, but he was bringing Bullfrog with him. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Bullfrog was slated to be going up to run the Gold Coast. Um, if Bullfrog went, it would have been, it would have been El Dorado. yeah. So um, this is what John Sattler said about it. A broken promise didn't help us. On the day of our inclusion, 
Peter Moore then considered the finest club administrator in the game, made a secret phone call to Hagen. Incredibly, he had outlined his interest in becoming the Gold Coast inaugural CEO. It appeared that Hagen, with his Canterbury links, had pulled off a huge coup. Moore pledged to bring with him five Canterbury stars, including Steve Mortimer and Steve Folkes. We breathed a sigh of relief. We announced Macca's appointment as coach on June 5. The following day, Moore phoned Hagen. Sorry, Bobby, I'm not coming. I've just signed, re-signed with Canterbury. <laughs> oh, and I'm going to keep Turvey and Folksy. <laughs> that was a classic leverage move, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, for sure. No doubt. Because it got leaked to the press and there were very strong feelings that it was Bullfrog. <laughs> <laughs> I love these old guys <laughs> so much. So yeah, so what a what a disaster that that team proved to be. I mean, this has given me heart palpitations. Mm. This bloody these three teams, yeah. and one of them was fine. Yeah, these two teams. Yeah, <laughs> how it even got off the ground? I know. Um, so I'll, I'll end on a, a positive for the Gold Coast Giants in 1988. Fee, five, four, one. Giants are going to get you while you're lazing in the sun. Um, that was just a little uh, <laughs> rendition of the Giants team song. Well, but, you don't remember the Knights one from 88, do you? No. Hey, ho, Knights, let's go. Ho. <laughs> that was the Knights one. What, what's the... Uh, what, what's the Knights one where he goes, one more time for the Novocastrians? Have you heard that one? No. Uh, some like piss head at a pub I used to drink at would always sing. Oh, yeah, that's the original, <laughs> that one. Um... But yeah, so the 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 one shining light of the Gold Coast Giants in nineteen eighty eight, they won four games all year. One of those games was beating Brisbane twenty five to twenty two. How good's that? With a full strength Brisbane team. That's rugby league at its best. Can you imagine that dressing room after the game? Bob McCarthy would have been like, All right boys, these blokes dudded us and we're gonna you know <laughs> I think they're better than us. <laughs> Do you think uh, Sats would have come in and, and talked about his uh, broken jaw? <laughs> I've got a feeling, like four out of the first season, that's actually like way it's above not bad. Yeah, considering yeah. what they were dealing yeah, with. Yeah. Hamstrung to the hilt, mm. um, nowhere near the cattle. Yeah. Playing mm. on origin side. Yeah. Jesus. Mm. But they would have had the advantage of Sydney teams travelling. Yeah. Yeah. Which they wouldn't have been able mm. to handle yeah. earlier, you'd think. You reckon a few ambushes? <laughs> <laughs> Guarantee it. There was an ambush on uh, Brisbane versus Manly. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, I really tried to find a copy of the Brisbane Gold Coast game, but it doesn't seem to exist on tape. <laughs> I reckon a lot of the records have been burnt over the years in Gold Coast. Finishing off this, that was brilliant research, mate. But... um. I just want to say that I hope the Titans continue to do well. Yeah. With this new ownership. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's just kind of another disaster. It's funny, doing this research and then watching that news clip with the the train wreck of a history that the Gold Coast had, that really, like, strengthened my affinity with the Titans too. I was like, this has to work because if it doesn't work this time, yeah. We, we need to think about other options. But they've, they've got everything in place now. Yeah. Looks like good ownership. Yeah. And um, Stadium from Heaven. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be all right. Ash Taylor's re-signed, hasn't he? Yeah. He did re-sign. Doesn't mean anything, but he has re-signed. 
<laughs> Has anyone signed the contract? <laughs> Double check that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.